Hello and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? On the plane? Uh, I think Samuel L. Jackson got rid of most of those, so that, that's not really a problem anymore. Okay. I mean, like, you know, when you go in a temple and, like, there's a thing that you want to get, but there's snakes all around it? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Those, those snakes, those are the ones I'm kind of referring to. Okay. Well, that's good. Samuel L. Jackson, snake pest control. I'd use them. Yeah, they support Communicore Weekly. Why not? Yeah. They're our only sponsor. It's time for Disney History. So if you guys are anything like me, or George for that matter, you probably grew up watching the Indiana Jones films. Yes. So not all of them are on par with Raiders of the Lost Ark, and maybe nuking the fridge might have been a terrible idea, but... As a whole, the film series has stood the test of time as being one of the most remarkable ever produced. And, as you likely already know, Disney and Lucasfilm first began discussing developing attractions together in the 1980s. And, with a powerhouse such as Lucasfilm behind them, the Imagineers really started to dream big, and they tried to come up with the new and innovative attractions to uh, entertain the guests. And from this partnership, we ended up with such classic attractions as Star Tours, Captain EO, and the incredible Disneyland jo uh, Indiana Jones Adventure at Disneyland. Well, you were just at Disneyland. You figured, yeah, well, anyway. You think, you think I would have said the You'd name right. You'd be able to say it right. So, just okay. on it. Well, yeah. before uh, raiding the Temple of the Forbidden Eye was even a thought on the drawing boards, Imagineers had another concept that would have taken Dr. Jones' adventures to a whole new level. So imagine if Indy moved into Adventureland, but like instead of taking over the area where he currently resides, he expanded out a little bit more out into the wilds of the Jungle Cruise and beyond. Because you see, their original idea was much like the never-built Western River Expedition at Walt Disney World. It wouldn't just be a single ride, but an entire new land of sorts for people to immerse themselves in. Now, Indiana Jones in the Lost Expedition was supposed to be this gigantic ride complex situated where the Indiana Jones adventure is now. And it was supposed to be built to resemble a, a mythological temple, and guests would have to travel amongst the caverns inside to find two separate rides. Now, the first was an enhanced motion vehicle attraction that's very similar to what is at Disneyland now, but the second was a minecart roller coaster, which is similar to the scene in uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Now, to further immerse guests into this new attraction, Disney planned on having the Disneyland Railroad and the Jungle Cruise travel through portions of the temple to give guests a glimpse at the adventures that awaited them inside. So, so based on a map of what the proposed expansion would have looked like, guests would have entered this new area by Tarzan's treehouse. Um, maybe they would have renamed it to Sala's treehouse. I, I would still enjoy it regardless. Still would have been better anyway. Well, the line would split into two. Uh, allowing people to decide which of Indy's quests they wanted to experience. Uh, guests wanting to go on the EMV Jeep ride would follow the route to the motor pool. There they would climb aboard vehicles that would take them deep inside the mythological temple to help Indiana Jones in his quest of the Golden Shrine. For those guests wanting a little more of a thrill, they would hike up the hill to an abandoned mine shaft. 
There, they would get strapped into one of the ore cars and sent speeding around the edge of a volcanic crevasse in this indoor roller coaster experience. Now, like we mentioned earlier, the two classic Disneyland attractions also would have been incorporated into this brand new gigantic show building. You know, after being thrilled by the backside of water, because mm -hmm. let's face it, people, everybody enjoys the backside of water. Yes. The people on the Jungle Cruise would have been sent right into the, a flooded cavern located in the heart of the temple, allowing them to catch a glimpse of the sacrificial altar. Uh, and there, they would have braved many of the same booby traps that Indy already snuck past before emerging from the caves back into the relative safety of the jungle. Now, while exiting, the Jungle Cruise would also pass under a new trestle bridge used by the Disneyland Railroad. Now, the railroad also would have journeyed into the new show building, letting guests take a little peek at the ore carts speeding around the volcanic, uh, volcanic chasm and the famous giant rolling ball sequence from the uh, EMV Jeep ride. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to go ahead and you know, say you probably agree. But this probably would have been an amazing addition to Disneyland, if not singularly the biggest. Uh, it would have added a whole new level of immersiveness for guests to explore and added a giant new footprint to the park back in the 80s. So your next question is, why was it never built? Well, the same reason a lot of things don't get done. Money, 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 money. Lots of money. Lots of money. Now, obviously, an enormous undertaking such as this would have carried an enormous bill to follow it up with. So to put it in relative uh, perspective terms, Indiana Jones Adventure that we have now reportedly costs just under $100 million by itself. But Indiana Jones and the Locks Expedition would have cost well over $200 million. And we also have to take into consideration that, at the same time, another team of Imagineers was working on developing Splash Mountain. And both projects were in direct competition with each other, trying to get the green light to build their attraction first. Yeah, so this is, of course, this is the reason why someone at uh, Walt Disney Imagineering created some fake concept art, combining both attractions, with, with Indy standing tall on top of Chickapin Hill, whip at the ready, surrounded by Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear dressed in the uh, Arab garb, like in the films. And what was in Indy's hand? Why, the golden idol shaped like Br'er Rabbit, of course. We know this art exists, but can't seem to find this anywhere, though, so if uh, anyone has a copy of it, Please feel free to share it with us. Yeah, because we would love to see it. Yes. I'm sure it's quite, quite awesome. But as the story goes, Splash Mountain's team won out and their attraction was built. And the fact was, it was far less cost prohibitive. And they were also be able to reuse some of the old animatronics from America Sings, uh, which definitely helped their case. Also, Michael Eisner's son really liked the model when he was on a tour of WDI. So, of course, he was like... Of course, I'm going to build what my son likes. Yeah, give him something. So, Well, in the early 1990s, Disneyland Paris considered adding a similar Indiana Jones expansion to their Adventureland. But again, it was far too costly to accomplish. So instead, the subpar looping roller coaster, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Peril, was rushed to open in 1993 to increase guest capacity. Of course, Anaheim did eventually get part of that massive Indiana Jones experience, though, but it wasn't until March of 95 when Mara began warning guests not to look into his eye. Uh, while still an amazing feat of Imagineering, the Indiana Jones adventure would have been dwarfed by the original concept design. Maybe that's where they got the, the Seven Dwarfs Ooh, Mine Coaster. Huh? That's really good. So maybe Perhaps they did. We'll need to look into this. Maybe we'll need to do so, another research trip. I'm, I'm okay with that. Okay. No no time for mining, Miss Snow White. Well, that doesn't work the same, does it? No, it doesn't. No, not, not at, at all. all. All right, forget I said that. 
He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. It's George's Book of the Week. Frankenweenie, the visual companion by Mark Salisbury. A few shows ago, we reviewed the Blu-ray release of Frankenweenie, and uh, we were pretty much both disappointed with the film, uh, especially since we'd enjoyed so many of Burton's earlier films. When my review copy of Frankenweenie, the visual companion arrived, I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, the book is similar to the Art of books by Chronicle and Disney. The first section of the book is all about Burton and his early career. It's, it's, it's very interesting because of the insight that you gain and you read about his thoughts on what happened at Disney. You know, he always loved Disney, but chafed in the animation building. I know I read something where some animator said they could tell he was physically depressed working there. Uh, a few higher-ups noted his talents and moved him out to work on some other projects. This is where the beginnings of Frankenweenie really sprouted. So as we move along, we read about the beginnings of the 1985 short, how it came together, the people involved, and we see some of the concept art that was created. And that part of the book was pretty good, right? Yes, it was. It was absolutely okay. fantastic. All that was sort of pre-Beetlejuice type stuff. Interesting. Which was great. So we jump ahead a few years after Nightmare Before Christmas and Corpse Bride as Burton is approached by Disney to remake Frank and Weenie. I guess this time they're like, oh, maybe he can be successful. Maybe. This guy might be onto something. So, Well, from there, the, the rest of the book discusses how the film came together. And for anyone that knows a lot about animated films or live-action films, seeing the sim- similarities and the differences with a stop-motion film can be quite eye-opening. Uh, there's a lot of discussion on the concept design of the characters and the environments. Uh, it's obvious Burton spent a lot of time developing the look of the characters, not only to meet his style, but also to look good in black and white and as a 3D model. There are many, many pages dedicated to the characters. If only they developed the characters as much in the film as in the book, then our Blu-ray review might have been different about the film. Uh, One of the things that really surprised me was when Salisbury started talking about animating the film. Stop motion, of course, is very similar to hand-drawn animation and that each frame is just one frame out of 24 in a second. Uh, Incredibly time-consuming. Also, Burton doesn't do any of the stop animation at all. Hmm, I thought he was in there doing it, but I guess he's, he's too cool for school. So, uh, anyways, it took 30 animators, each working on a different scene, almost over two years to complete the film. Um, that's a lot of work. Uh, the final chapters look at the music and finishing up the film. The, the book is kind of weird. It's an odd duck because it vacillates between being completely gorgeous and, in my opinion, completely repulsive. As we mentioned in our review of the Blu-ray, the character design departed radically from previous work by Burton. More than just odd characters, but also characters that were incredibly unpleasant to look at. Uh, By far, the in-depth character profiles made reading the book sort of a chore, I guess. Uh, That being said, if you're a Burton fan or a stop-motion fan, then you need to own this title. The information presented is incredible and offers amazing insight into the process of stop-motion and modern filmmaking. But otherwise, eh, I don't think the book's worth it. So we can skip it? I think we can skip it. I'll I'll read that first section in the library or something, and then do it without. I'll just yeah. Before I'll take pictures of it and send it to you, George. That's illegal. <gasps> well, th- we can cut that out, right? Yes. Okay. Good. 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 Okay. Nobody heard that, right? Impromptu United King of a Million Phone Booth Disney Trivia. Impromptu United King of a Million Phone Booth Disney Trivia.
Here we go. Hello? Hello, how are you today? Hello, I'm good, how are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. This is Jeff from Camino Crow Weekly. Would you be interested in playing in Prompt United Kingdom Pavilion Phone Booth Disney Trivia, where you can answer three questions and you get an awesome prize? Sure. Awesome. What's your name? Amanda. Amanda. Well, thank you for being on the show, Amanda. Did you enjoy Illuminations? I loved Illuminations. Good. I'm, I'm glad. And I'm glad we caught you after the fact. So here, here's, here's how we play. We're going to ask you three questions. Easy, medium, hard. If you get all three of them right, we will send you a prize. I know this sounds weird, but this is totally legit. We're podcasts, and this is one of our segments. All right. All right. So we're going to ask you three questions. We'll start with the easy one first, okay? okay. Are you ready, Amanda? I'm ready. All right. The first question is, what year did Epcot 94 debut? What year did Epcot 94 debut? Yes. I'm going to go with 1997. Oh. Ooh. You were close. I'll give is you a second guess. Is that not right? I'll give you a second guess. Is it, is it 1984? Oh, you were, you're so close. Let me, 1994? Okay, I'll give you that one. Good job. Yeah. Good job. That, that was the easy one. Congratulations. Good job. That was the easy question, man. That one was hard. I know. It only <laughs> took you like guesses. 17 tries. Jeez. All right. What's the medium question? Okay. Medium question. Now, are you a, are you a fan of Disney history in general? Uh, sure. Okay. That, that sounded pretty reassuring. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm a fan of Disney trivia. Okay. Good. Here, This one's your medium one. It might be a little harder. All right. The medium one. Now, before it became Epcot Center, Walt Disney had a vision for Epcot, and he, he, it was an acronym, Epcot. What did Epcot, the acronym, stand for? Oh, Epcot, the acronym? Yes. It is Experimental Prototype uh, Community of Tomorrow. Ooh, Ooh yes. yes. Very nice. You got some help in the background, too. Five points I, to I don't know what you're talking about. There was no help in the background. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, That's not why I'm repeating the questions at all. It seems really suspicious that that first question took you 17 tries to answer correctly, but that the second well, one was very really quick. That first one was difficult. All right, all right, I'll give I you that. I thought it was a trick. <laughs> it could have been a trick. It could have been a trick. What's Mickey's okay. Name? Let's do some Easter listen, listen, we're asking the questions here. Yeah, there's some sassy lady next to me. What is this? Trying to ask you guys questions. You tell that peanut gallery to be quiet or nobody's getting any prizes over there. The peanut gallery needs to be quiet or no one gets a prize. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is the last one, and it's it's probably going to be difficult because it's the hard question. All right, the hard question. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Now, what 3D fantasy film was shown at Epcot from 1982 until 1987 in the Imagination Pavilion and then moved to the Magic Kingdom from 1987 to 1993? It was there before Honey, I Shrunk the Audience and Captain EO. A 3D thing that was there before Honey, I Shrunk the Audience and Captain EO that was at Epcot and then moved to the Magic Kingdom. Ooh, is that like 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea or something like that? Uh, that was a ride, but no. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. You don't? No one? No, no guesses? Alien. Nobody has any smartphones? I mean, what's with you kids these oh, days? Oh, smartphone? Well, you didn't tell me I could use a smartphone. I'm not supposed to tell you you can cheat. You're supposed <laughs> to take that on your own initiative because I'm not actually watching you. Therefore, you Somebody can be cheating. Somebody Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say Smurf. Oh, what'd you say? <laughs> I didn't say 
anything. Wait, did somebody say Smurf? You guys are going to lose points for that one. I know, I know. What the Smurf? What is a Smurf? All right, it was a 3D... Mom, stop singing. 3D Epcot moved to Magic Kingdom. Wouldn't you think I'm a girl who had... I bet you guys did think you were going to get such fun people on the other end of the phone. You know what? You'd be surprised sometimes, but this is a good one because she's singing. She's not going to stop. No big deal. I want more. Uh, magic Journeys? <gasps> magic Journeys is correct! Oh my gosh! It only took us seven minutes to figure that one out. Congratulations. Hey, what's, that, what's that about? I don't know. I might, you I don't know? Man. <laughs> it was the journey into a child's imagination. Oh, journey into the child's imagination. Not featuring Figment. Not featuring Figment. Not featuring Figment. Uh, well, I'm glad you got them all right. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. Okay, here, here, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you for your email address, and I will email you, and then we will send you a prize. All right. Thank you so much for playing Impromptu United Kingdom Pavilion Phone with Disney Trivia. You're welcome. Thanks. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your night at Epcot. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. That oh was epic on so many levels. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. <laughs> Following with our theme of adventure back from the history segment, way back when Spielberg and Lucas were making the Temple of Doom, they visited Disneyland to record the sound of the Big Thunder Mountain uh, cars for use in their mine car chase sequence. And years later, the scene in Temple of Doom inspired the lost Indiana Jones attraction that we spoke about earlier. Talk about synergy, right guys? That's full circle. It's a circle of life. Or something. I don't know. Asamania. What does that mean? Gee, I know. I don't know. I won't start. Is that like Icarumba? I think so. What, what does that mean? That means. I do not know. Well, anyways. <laughs> I think that's about time for us to wrap it up. Thanks so much for watching. Did I just say watching? Watching? I'm not sure what watching is. But I, if you are watching, thanks for doing that. It's a combination of, you know, it's a YouTube show and an iTunes download. Which is okay. Cool. So, okay, so speaking of that, leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. Yeah, and then you can also email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com. And like us on the Facebooks at facebook.com slash Weekly. You can also follow us on the Twitter. Uh, he is at Imaginerding, and I am at Jeff Heimbuck. And I'm George. And I'm Jeff. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Baja.